A reading from the first letter of St. John. I am writing to you, children, because your sins have been forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have conquered the evil one. I am writing to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God remains in you and you have conquered the evil one. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, sensual lust, enticement for the eyes, and a pretentious life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Yet the world and its enticement are passing away. But whoever does the will of God remains forever. The word of the Lord. We have a remarkable sequence in our first reading today where the Apostle John addresses the community to which he is writing his first letter in terms of three different categories of person. Children, fathers, and young men. And it's important enough that he does it twice. He repeats it. I am writing to you children. I am writing to you fathers. I am writing to you young men. And then he says it again. I am writing to you children. I am writing to you fathers. And I am writing to you young men. And he has something different to say about and to each of those groups in terms of his reason for speaking to them. And in acting this way, in writing this way, the great apostle is speaking to the entire breadth of the Christian community, basically saying, and I'm not leaving anybody out but he is speaking to each degree of the Christian community in this one letter at precisely the level where they find themselves spiritually. Growth in Christian life is a growth toward maturity in the life of Christ. It is a growth toward spiritual adulthood. But every single one of us starts out spiritually as a little child. And just as physically children must grow and mature to adulthood in our earthly living, 
so too in the spiritual life there is a progression from childhood toward maturity, toward genuine spiritual adulthood. Lamentably, for all too many of us, we never leave the stage of childhood. We don't grow up spiritually. And so note the importance then, as the apostle is speaking, because he's speaking to sustain those who he names fathers in their maturity. He is speaking to those whom he names young men, those who have vigorously advanced out of their childhood to the cusp of adulthood. And he is also speaking to those who are in those beginning stages of Christian life, the beginning stages of spiritual growth. And he speaks to them not so that they stay there, but that they begin moving forward from there. But what's instructive then is the sequence of things that he says. I am writing to you, little children, because you have been forgiven of your sins. And this is important, important enough for the apostle to name as a vital fundamental starting point of the spiritual life. It's one that the world around us wants to deny. It is one that lamentably again all too much superficial preaching also neglects the fundamental truth that we, all of us, are in fact sinners and are in fact in need of forgiveness and redemption. And that sin produces consequences, not the least of which is death, both physical and spiritual. And note for the apostle the recognition of this, the acceptance of this, the embrace of this is that necessary first movement that gives birth to a true spiritual life. We start with the fact that our sins are indeed forgiven. This is consistent with what Scripture itself says repeatedly. For example, in the Canticle of Zachary, you will go before the Lord to give his people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. The knowledge of being forgiven the experience of having been forgiven is a fundamental beginning point for Christian life. How easy it is to forget that. How easy it is to neglect that. How easy it is to set that aside and want to start someplace else. But there is no other starting point. We have to embrace our need for salvation 
that we might know the Savior, that we might respond to the Savior. And it is out of this experience of being forgiven, it produces knowledge of the one who has, in fact, forgiven me. This is why, in the second address to the children, he speaks of them coming to know the Father, those whose sins have been forgiven. You lived as if you didn't know him, but your sins are forgiven. And in embracing and in experiencing that forgiveness, you come to know him. And this knowing of the Lord is not just a beginning step, it is also the fundamental goal, the capstone of the spiritual life, which is full knowledge of the Lord. Note how when he speaks to those he names fathers, those who are more mature, those who have grown to full adulthood spiritually, those who look after the well-being of the community, each time he speaks to them, he says the same thing. You have come to know him who is from the beginning. You have come to know the fullness of the Lord. You have come to experience fully in your life who the Lord is. You have grown into knowledge of him. How does one get there? One begins with the experience of having been forgiven. But before one becomes an adult, he must become a young man or a young woman. And so then there's that third address to the intermediate group. I am writing to you, young men, young women, because you have overcome the world. You have overcome the evil one. And what does that mean? Not only have you experienced the forgiveness of your sins, but you have grown beyond those sins. You have been doing the work, the labor of setting those things aside. You have become victorious. Note then that intrinsic element of growing toward maturity, which involves not just then having been forgiven, but now struggling to stop doing the things that required forgiveness in the first place. That's the other part of the memo we don't like to get. You know, and uh, that's why in the act of contrition, there's that, 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 there's that statement of a firm purpose of amendment. What that means is a real commitment to making a change. Boy, it's a lot easier just to receive forgiveness and go. And to go back to the same behaviors that brought me to the confessional in the first place. This is an often neglected point with regard to why we don't grow spiritually. We love methods of prayer. 
we love techniques. We love to have new prayers that we can say. You know, one of the most common and actually most destructive things that happens spiritually in our churches is the way we indiscriminately hand people prayers and say, you need to say this. Because we inject things into our spiritual life without rhyme or without reason, and then we cover up the fact that we're not growing by the fact that we're restless and always introducing new things into the spiritual life, which gives us permission to not do the basic stuff. And that very fundamental, very basic step is bringing my will into conformity with the will of God. And that doesn't happen just by saying prayers. That doesn't happen just by thinking nice thoughts. That happens by changing how I act. That happens by changing how I think. That happens by embracing the freedom that Christ has given me so that I can move out of the chains of the ancient slavery that has held me in bondage. And note how that is exactly the language of our collect today, our opening prayer, which uses that fascinating contrast of the newness, may the newness of your son's nativity in the flesh, we say to the Lord. Think about that for a second, because it happened 2,000 years ago, and we're calling it new. May the newness, there is something always new, something always fresh about this mystery. Because into the old world of sin and death, into the long night of futility, a new light has shone. Someone newly arrived has come to do something. And may this newness pull us away because ancient chains of slavery have held us in bondage. Note how beautiful this is as the apostle writes then. What he's really doing is he's laying out a roadmap, a very, very important roadmap that begins with recognizing I have needed to be forgiven and I have been forgiven. And that should stir me to know and therefore to love the one who has forgiven me. And out of that love for the one who has forgiven me, I should act to embrace the freedom that he has given me to turn away from those things that keep pulling me away from him. And that as I do that, as my will more and more, my life more and more turns to him, I will come to know him truly. 
and that is how I will attain maturity spiritually. We don't speak about it enough. The fact that growth in holiness implies growth in virtue, implies turning away from sin, and that that in no small measure is a better school of prayer than all of the books that we have on our shelves. This way that the heart naturally opens more and more to the grace of God by giving itself more and more to him, more and more into his service. What a beautiful mystery that is. What a powerful mystery that is. And that's why the apostle follows up that repeated threefold address with, if you love the world, you don't love God. Wow. Wow. And we, love, we hear those, and what do we do automatically? We begin qualifying it. Well, you know, he's being rhetorical here. He's overemphasizing to make a point. The world is really good. We don't hate the world. And yet the apostle says, oh, yes, we do. Don't soft-pedal it. The fallen world in which we find ourselves cannot be the primary object of our love. The one who saves this world must be. And the more we surrender, the more we make that easy peace with the world around us, the more we are not freeing ourselves from his grip. The more the ancient chains continue to hold us, the more we stop ourselves short. The apostle is not saying live with a violent hostility to the world, but he is saying be careful where you're putting your love. We don't start spiritually with love of the world. Spiritually, we have to start with love of God and love for God and begin acting out of that love. Where we trip ourselves up all the time is we try and do both and we end up acting out of our love for the things of the world more than we do out of love for God. And then we shrug our shoulders and we say, I've tried all the techniques. I've read all the books. Why spiritually am I making no progress when I'm the one who keeps setting myself back? And this is not to say that all of these things can be overcome immediately with a rapid series of gestures. But note the importance of being resolved of being resolute, not so much to never fall because we're going to fall, but to be resolute to trying not to fall, to be resolute to trying to find some way to make a change, to be resolute to find some way to open my life to grace with the ease with which I open it to so many lesser things. And how good it is that we can reflect on that here, where he, that very word through whom forgiveness and goodness comes, will be with us. 
and we who desire him can come forward and stretch out our hands. But in receiving him, the question becomes, how willing are we to conform ourselves to him? Because there's a knowledge of God that is only accessible to the heart that struggles to conform itself to him. A knowledge that can come from no book, a knowledge that can come from no workshop or no class, a knowledge that no preacher, no speaker can ever hope to impart. It is that knowledge that can only come when we experience the way the Lord works in our hearts as our hearts try to correspond to him. Anyone can move toward that knowledge if his or her heart is willing to make a move. And note how wonderful that is. It's not inaccessible. Difficult, perhaps. Difficult, truly. But not inaccessible. The more the heart responds to him, the more the heart knows him. What a deep and mighty mystery that is. Amen.